You are listening to sermon audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. You will know I'm here from now on because this will be here. I liked it the last time. I'm going to keep it. Mark chapter 11, we're, uh, we're going to be in a new um, chapter this morning. We're going to be in verses uh, 1 through 11. Uh, we, are, we are literally turning the page to something new as we, as we approach um, the final week of Jesus' life. Last week, you remember that uh, we found Jesus in Jericho, and he healed the blind beggar Bartimaeus. Um, and the very last thing that we read in that account um, with Jesus is that Jesus heals Bartimaeus and he says, go your way, your faith has made you well. His sight was recovered. And the very next thing that Bartimaeus does, I mean, the very next thing that he does is he follows Jesus. He fixes his eyes on Jesus and he follows him. And it's a beautiful picture of what happens when God saves us. When God saves us, we fix our eyes on what he has done and who he is primarily. Not what he's done, but who he is is where we fix our eyes. The blind see, the lame walk, the sick are healed, and our immediate response is to follow Jesus, to fix our eyes on our Savior Jesus. And I say that because... Not just because it's the last thing that we talked about, but I think that's where we need to begin today. And I think that's where we need to begin every day. I am more and more convinced, more and more convinced every day, that we have got to put aside what is burdening us and follow our Savior. We come in here today tired, right? We come in here today tired. We come in here today weary, and brokenhearted and broken. We come frustrated and tempted. We've been tested. We've failed this week. We have stumbled. We have strayed. We are confused. We are conflicted. We are questioning. We are giving up. We are apathetic. We're not all these things, but each one of us at some point, perhaps in this week, we have been one of these things and more. Maybe this morning as you sit here, you are saying yes and amen to one or multiple of those. And yet, you're here. You're here today. And you're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. We exist to glorify God by seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our vision and our mission statement. We just smash them both together and we call them a vision and a mission. For those of you who know the nuance, I know there's a difference between the two. We just put them together and we say, that's our mission and that's our vision. The first half of that statement, we exist to glorify God, is expressed, I hope, through our lives daily. Right? And the first rhythm of that is Jesus. Jesus' community and mission. That's the rhythm to see the glory of God and to, to, to magnify Christ in our lives. But as a church, corporately, what we do here on Sundays together glorifies God. That's the first way we do that, is to exalt Jesus individually, but also together corporately when we come in this place this morning. We lift up Jesus high. We exalt him in this place today with the purpose of fixing our eyes on him. 
And I just feel like that's where we need to start. We sung about it this morning. When we come in here this morning, every Sunday, that's why we do what we do. We're like the people of Israel, wandering in the desert, impatient with God, right? Mouthing off to God, mouthing off to Moses and, and whining, why did, you bring us, why did you bring us out of Egypt into this wilderness? There's no food, there's no water. What you've given us, we don't like anymore. God's response to them is he sends more trouble their way. He sends them serpents to bite them. Fiery serpents, not just serpents, fiery serpents. He sends them their way. They, he, they bite them and some of them die. Things often get worse before they get better. Jesus is bringing us to the end of our rope. And when we get to the end of that rope and we are humbled and broken down, that's when God says, now, now you're there. Now you know I can now do something with you because you're relying on me. With repentance heart, with repentant hearts, the people of Moses ask, or the people of God ask Moses for him to intercede on their behalf, to take away the serpent. So Moses prays to God for deliverance of the people, and God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and lift that pole high in the air. And if the people would fix their eyes on that bronze serpent, they would live. The Gospel of John says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. So today, and every Sunday, we lift up Jesus and we say, fix your weary eyes on Him. Fix your confused and your tired and your conflicted eyes on Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. Don't believe the lies that the world has told you this week. Don't believe the lies maybe you've told yourself this week. Believe in Jesus Christ. He is our Messiah. He is our King. He is the bread of life. And only He will satisfy the longing of our heart. This is what we get to do today. This is why we're here. This is what we get to do today when we come into this place. So we're going to dig in to chapter 11 of Mark this morning. So get there if you're not. But I want us to pay attention some, to something this morning. I want us to pay attention to something that we don't talk a lot about when we, when we preach the gospel. And that's the tone of the passage. Right? Are you familiar with there's a, there's a tone to scripture? Right? Depending on what you're, listen, what you're reading, and, and, and it really doesn't matter what you're reading, whether the genre is a gospel or an epistle or poetry or wisdom literature or, 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 or apocalyptic literature, there's always a tone. And today's passage has a very decisive tone to it. In fact, it has two tones. It goes from one, one, one um, um, uh, extreme to the other. And so we're going to see that today in this passage, the tone of Scripture. Let's not read Scripture in a one-dimensional fashion, right? Let's not read it one-dimensionally. May our prayer be that of the psalmist in Psalm 119 where he says, Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law. That we wouldn't just see a bunch of black type on a page, or red type, depending on your Bible and whose words, right? May we not see just a one-dimensional page of words, right? 
Some of them are very ornate. Some of them are little type, big type. Some of it's ornate. Let's not see just that. Let's see the gospel. Let's see soul-satisfying truth. Truth that has significance and meaning. Wonderful expression, right? The, God, the Hebrews, Hebrews says the word of God is what? Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces and divides our soul and our spirit our joints and our marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our our heart. That's what the Word does. Do you believe that? Do you experience that? Do you know that? That's how we want to look at this. 2 Timothy says it completes, the Word completes and equips us for every good work. I don't know about you guys, but I need that this morning. I need it every day. And that's what we get to do today. So I'm going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 11 in Mark, and then I will pray and we'll dig in to see what God has for us. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt. Tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem. And he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And this is God's word. Father, we need your presence this morning. We need your word to come alive, because it is alive. It's our hearts that are dead. It's our hearts that are divided. It's our hearts that are distracted, Lord. Lord, help us to put away those distractions this morning. Let your Spirit have its way with us, God. Let your Spirit have its way with me this morning as I proclaim the gospel this morning. As I take what you have given me this week, Lord, may may it be your words and not mine. Lord, shape our lives and mold them around our Savior, God. We want to be more like Jesus, and you have given us your spirit to enable us to do that, Father. But it's hard. We come in here, all those things, tired and weary and confused and questioning and doubting and all of that, God. We need for a a moment, Lord, to just soak and bask in your word and the glory of Jesus Christ and exalt him and worship him, Lord. Do the work in this room today, God. Wake us up. Draw us to yourself. We beg you. We pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as we said, 
Bartimaeus has his sight restored. And now he joins the many, many people that are following Jesus, right? They're making their way to Jerusalem for Passover. That's the whole, that's the whole point. They're making their way to Jerusalem for Passover. And they're about 20 miles out now from Jerusalem, from Jericho is where they were. And this whole thing that we've been talking about for several months now, the life of Jesus is now coming to a conclusion. In fact, today begins, what I just read, begins the final week of Jesus' life, right? It's the Palm Sunday passage that we're all familiar with. And this is, only, this is one of the few texts in Scripture, in the Gospels, that, that is common to all four of the Gospels. You have your synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that have a lot in common. And John's a little bit off off, off here on, on the side. But there are a couple of things in, in, in the Gospels that are common to all four. And it's not just this text that's common. It's the entire final week of Jesus' life that we find common to all four of the Gospels. Right? There's significant weight given to, these last, to this last week of the gospel of Jesus's life. For instance, Matthew, I didn't figure this out. I'm taking this on faith with the research that I did. Matthew gives a fourth of his gospel to the last week of Jesus's life. Mark gives a third. Luke gives a fifth and John gives a half. One half of John's gospel is dedicated to the final week of Jesus's life. Out of 89 total chapters in all four gospels, 30 focus on the last week which is about a third of all four Gospels combined. There's a, that's a lot. There's a lot there. Other than, I think, four or five messages that we will be giving in the coming months, all but four or five, all of the messages will be out of the Gospel of Mark in this last week until the end of April. That's one week of Jesus' life that we'll be preaching on from today until the end of April, except for four messages. There's a lot of weight to what we're about to get into. And it begins today. Right? It begins today. It's important and weighty stuff because we simply cannot make sense of Jesus' life unless we make serious consideration and understanding about Jesus' death and resurrection. Otherwise, we're like the rich man and we just see him as a good teacher. We just see him as a moral man who has some good things to say that if we all in the world did some of the things Jesus did, we'd all be singing Kumbaya together and life would be great. And that's simply not true. We think that's true. Some people think that's true. But even if we were all to do it, it still wouldn't work because of our sinful heart. So let's move through this text and let's see what God has for us today. Jesus and his disciples Again, which would have been a pretty good size now. They're approaching Jerusalem. They're not there yet. They they stop in the town of Bethany, which is a village on the slope of the Mount of Olives. It's it's there at Bethany, you'll recall, that Mary and Martha serve Jesus. It's where Mary anoints Jesus' feet. This is is where they're at now in Bethany, or right in that area. And while they're there, Jesus sends two of his disciples into the village to to get himself a, a colt. He said, go into the village and secure, for for our purposes, a colt. Now, there's a beautiful thing that happens here that that I think we miss, and I know I've missed it whenever I read this passage. We get a a glimpse, a little glimpse into this tender-hearted Jesus, into the humanity of Jesus, our Savior. We get a little glimpse, and, and here's how, right? Think about this. Jesus is about to enter into his final week, right? The final week of his life, 
on earth, right? His mission is coming to a completion, right? Final week of his life. He is going to weep blood. He's going to struggle, weeping blood, asking God the Father to let the cup of wrath pass from his lips if it's his, if it's his will, right? He's going to be spit on. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be scourged, which is horrible, a horrible thing digging into his flesh to the bone in his back. He's going to have a crown of thorns jammed onto his head. All of this is to come, and he knows it. Jesus knows all of this is coming, and yet he has the sensibilities to make sure that the owner of the colt knows the colt is going to be returned. It's a small thing, but it gives us a peek into who Jesus is. It gives us a peek into his tender heart. It's like when he knew Lazarus was going to be raised. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? Remember that? He knew that, and yet he wept for him. He knew Jesus was going to betray him. What did he do to Judas? He washed his feet. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And just as we see his humanity, and there's a lesson there in that, Right? When we are saved and when, we are, when our, our heart is pierced by the gospel and the spirit of the living God comes rushing in, we are enabled to actually function that way. And we can wash the feet of those who just might betray us. And we can love those who are unlovable because our Savior does. And so we see this beautiful glimpse of the humanity of Jesus, but we also see his divinity, Right? This, this passage describes how his two disciples are supposed to go into the town and Jesus describes to them precisely what's going to happen and it does. Because he's God. He knows this. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's directing everything here. And it's not because he, because he has a compulsive personality that he feels the need to direct. or It's not because he's a puppet master, but it's because Jesus is acting for the sole purpose of fulfilling God's promises. And it begins, it begins today, it begins in this account. The promises of God that God will justify by faith an unworthy idolater like Abraham. And then promised to establish his covenant with Abraham and his descendants, of which we are. We are the descendants of Abraham if we are believers, because we as Gentiles have been grafted in in a beautiful way that Paul talks about. Up until now, well let me say this, the covenant promise of God is that just as sin entered into the world through one man, so shall salvation and justification come through the one man, Jesus Christ. That message is a message Jesus did not want hooked to his name yet. Up until now, he did not want that message to get out, that he was the Messiah. He would heal people. We saw it in Mark. He would heal people, and he would send them away, and he would say, what? Don't tell anybody, because my time has not yet come. Well, it all ends here. It all ends in this scene of him riding into town in a donkey. The time is now right. Jesus knows who he is. He always has. And there's, he's no longer willing to keep this a secret. He doesn't care who knows about it. Because what he's doing here in this passage is he's beginning to make connections between who he is and the Messiah. And he's in total control. 
R.C. Sproul is famous for saying, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. A single molecule. There is no single rogue molecule in all of creation that God is not in control over. The promise of God, the promise of God that began in Genesis is coming to fruition here. And the sovereign God of the universe is orchestrating all. Now that's important for us this morning. It's important to our lives that we know that every detail, and it doesn't matter what it is. And I know that's hard. Because some of the details in our lives are really, really messy. And I can't explain it, but there's purpose. Because God is a God of purpose. So much so that he sent Christ to hang on a cross. Brutally beaten and scourged for something he didn't do and he didn't deserve. And if God can be in control of that, he can be in control of anything that's going on in our life. That's the sweetness of our Savior. And we need to hear that this morning because that's what he does when he saves us. What are the connections that Jesus is making? Well, we find them in this passage. And first and perhaps primary is this deep significance of, of a cult. More specifically, um, Jesus rides in on a donkey or a beast of burden. The prophet, the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The prophet Zechariah. In, in the ancient Middle Eastern world, leaders who were going to war would ride into battle on a horse, on a steed, on a white charger often. But when they were going in, coming in peace, they came on a donkey. Jesus comes and rides in on a donkey. King Solomon rode in on a donkey when he was recognized as the new king of Israel. And he came into town riding on a donkey. And so this fits perfectly the humble character and nature of Jesus. And this is the prophetic voice of of Zechariah saying to Israel, your king is a humble king who will come in peace, not with a sword. He will come in peace to love and to serve and to save his people. We read a couple of weeks ago, Jesus himself saying the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But make no mistake, Jesus means business. He means business. Verse 10 in Zechariah 9 says, I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the war horse of Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, severed, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to river the ends of the earth. The the prophet Zechariah is quoted more times 
in the Gospels than any other Old Testament passage. Specifically chapters 9 through 14. It's amazing the things you find out that are factoids, but when you find out why, is even more profound. But it's quoted more than any other, any other Old Testament passage. And here's why. Because Zechariah is a prophet of hope. Zechariah is a prophet of hope. Messianic hope was being rekindled during Zechariah's ministry. And that's a word some of us need to hear today as well. That Jesus is a God of hope. And hope is built on a firm foundation. Hope is not a wish or a whim. Hope is is a is a is a understanding of a future reality, a confidence in a future reality. We can stand here confidently taking everything the world can give us because of what Jesus is about to do this week. That starts today as he rides in humbly on a donkey. Zechariah 14:9 says the Lord will reign over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Christ fulfilled the hope of Zechariah. Christ fulfills the promises of God that the entire Old Testament was pointing to. And what we see in this opening episode of Passion Week, Palm Sunday, is Jesus initiating the conquest of our greatest oppressor. That's what's happening. He's humbly riding in as a king on a donkey, coming in peace, but he's initiating the conquest of our greatest oppressor. That's what's going on here. Jesus had a mission. And he may have come in peaceable on this humble beast of burden instead of a war horse because he's not a political leader or a political warrior, but make no mistake, there's a battle that's being raged. It's about, it's about to be waged, and Jesus is firing that first shot in this battle. And when we say that he's initiating the conquest of our greatest oppressor, it wasn't the chariot of Ephraim that we, we heard from Zechariah. It wasn't the war horse of Jerusalem, and it wasn't the battle bow. That's not the oppressor that he is conquering, even though he did. The greatest oppressor that needs to be conquered, that he con- conquers, is the sinful human heart. That's who Jesus, that's what Jesus conquers. Those burdens that we came in with this morning, the anxieties, the tiredness, the oppression, the abuse, emotional, physical, spiritual, otherwise, the ugliness of the world that we've experienced, they don't have a chance against Jesus. Psalm, excuse me, Proverbs 12 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Church, this is a good word. This is a good word this morning. Christ's submission to death on a cross enables God to forgive your iniquity and remember your sin no more. And we get to live. We get to live. We get to live abundantly. Hebrews 3.6 says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast, fix our eyes, hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We've already said hope is a a confidence in a future reality. It's not a wish, it's not a whim, it's something we know will be completed because Jesus already has. 
Holding fast is, again, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And that's what we do today. And that's what we need to do every day, is fix our eyes, again, on Jesus. And that's what we do here this morning. There is no type of oppression or burden that you are currently experiencing that can overcome the protection that God gives you in Jesus. It's how what we prayed for last week and hopefully this week, it's how the the missionaries that are being oppressed and beaten and are being imprisoned, it's how they can live because they know that they're protected by God. We look no farther than the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. He knew. He knew what was up, right? And so he's in there and you got jailers getting saved and all kinds of things happen because he knew the confidence of the hope that he had. The decision to enter into Jerusalem on a donkey is just a flat-out claim to authority. It's just a flat-out claim to authority that Jesus is now being will, is, is willing now to be identified as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior King. In one simple scene of Jesus sending a couple of his disciples to fetch a tied-up donkey and ride into Jerusalem speaks volumes. That's the depth of the Word of God. That's the tone of the Word of God that we read. Jesus is humble yet victorious. The people are expecting the Messiah to conquer political enemies, right? To defeat Rome decidedly. And so they cheer him and they're ceremoniously rolling out the red carpet and they're throwing palm branches and coats on the ground and they're already in this celebratory mood because it's Passover, right? Once a year they come in and they all celebrate because they're going to celebrate Passover and they're shouting, Hosanna! Which literally means, save us! Even when Jesus is not coming, even when it's not a scene where he's coming into town on a donkey and they're going to celebrate Passover, they're yelling this out. Save us! They're commemorating being saved from Egyptian bondage and being delivered from Egyptian bondage and they're singing, Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From Psalm 118. That that was how they would greet one another as well. It was a customary religious greeting or blessing that they would interact with one another and they would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And they would repeat that back to one another as they were interacting direct quote from, the Psalm, from Psalm 118. But here's the interesting thing in our, in our passage this morning. Mark quotes it, and the other three gospel writers quote it as well. But each one of them adds something a little unique to what we read in the psalm. The psalm says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Matthew adds this, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. John says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Mark says, blessed is the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus would soon give a new meaning to the Passover that they were about to celebrate because he is the Lamb of God. And those gathered here to celebrate his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, they, they knew something was going on here. 
I believe that they knew something was happening here. They knew that Jesus, part of them knew because they were following Jesus. And so they, they knew, they just had a sense and they knew from some of the things that he said they, they'd experienced the miracles and Jesus' life and they knew who he was. Even though he hasn't proclaimed it, they knew and they had this holy desire for the kingdom to come. And what we see is a desperation, the desperation of an obsessed people that are waiting for a Savior. They're going every year to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, what has happened. But now it's turning around, and they know that they're still desperate. They know they're still oppressed because of their sin. They felt the weight of sin just like we feel today. These people are eagerly awaiting a Messiah. They want God to free them. And Jesus receives their worship joyfully. He's the Messiah, and he's going to free them. It's just not in the way that they're expecting him to do it. Jesus comes as a king who will be crowned with thorns. He's enthroned on a cross and he's hailed as a chief of fools. And his entrance points to a different kind of triumph than the one that's envisioned by the crowds. Instead, Jesus comes into town to conquer something much bigger than the Roman army. He comes in, as we've said, to conquer our sin, and he does it literally in an earth-shattering way. Literally in an earth-shattering way. And he does it not by yielding a sword, but by being stricken by one. Only to rise on the third day and put the final stamp on Satan's sin and death. And that's what's going on. That's the picture of what we have here. And Jesus riding in on a donkey is the beginning of all of that that is about to take place. All of that is represented by a humble, simple picture of a man riding in on a donkey. It's an amazing picture. And it's one that we often think of cute and cuddly and we miss it. But it has great significance. Way back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is what they're waiting for. This is what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the kingdom to come, and they're ready to celebrate. They already are celebrating because they're seeing this. How is it that our everyday lives are not this way? Because of this good news. How can our lives not be lives of joy? Not happiness. Not saying we have to plaster smiles on our faces. But how can our lives not be deep joy because of this? Why does the world get so far underneath our fingernails? And so deep under our skin? And so so infecting into our heart? Why does that happen? Because this good news and this Holy Spirit that we possess into our souls because of Jesus gives us the power to actually break free and to live a joyous life. How can we not face adversity in this life when we know what King Jesus has conquered to set us free? We're free to love. We're free to serve. We're we're free to to love God. And to love our neighbor. We're free to love our enemy. We're free to pray for those who would persecute us. How can that not mark us as a Christian? 
What does the world see? Is that what they see? Do they see the beauty of our Savior? Because that is good news. You may feel this morning like a wandering pilgrim in a wasteland. We, we have all had that experience, and some of us, I know, are going through that now. But the gospel tells you that nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing will separate you. You are eternally connected to Jesus because of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And even better than that, you're more than that. You're a conqueror. In fact, Scripture says you're more than a conqueror because, of he, lo- because he loves us. It's not that Jesus conquered sin, but he enables us then to fight, to conquer our own sin. We're chosen by God. We're recipients of his faithfulness to Abraham through Jesus, and we then can put to death what is earthly in us. We can put on compassion. We can put on kindness. We can put on humility and meekness and patience. And we can bear with one another. And we can, and we can um, forgive one another. And all of that is wrapped and bound together by love. And it's exhibited to us by Jesus. The binding agent is love. And the deliverer of that binding agent is Christ himself. And that's what we see this morning when we see this picture of our king coming in to begin going through this narrow tunnel of persecution in this week of time where soon there will be a Roman guard that will look at the cross and say, he was the son of God. The scene ends in a very anticlimactic way. We move from people shouting Hosanna in the highest and seeing Jesus as a king, albeit a misplaced king perhaps because they're thinking he's going to be a, 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 uh, he's going to defeat the Roman army when he's come as a servant king to die, but they're worshiping him. We see, we see it go from that scene to Jesus standing alone in the temple. It's late. He's surveying the situation. He looks around at everything. It's quiet. And it says that he just leaves. And he goes back to Bethany. They probably went, went to sleep. Now what's going on? Why does it end this way? Mark is the only gospel that puts this scene in there. The other ones typically jump right to Jesus coming back in and clearing out the temple. But what's going on in verse 11 that all of a sudden Mark's gospel just, it just ends? Right? Jesus is just there in the temple looking around, surveying what's happening. He's like, let's go, guys. Let's go, let's go hit the sack. Well, this foreshadows the action that's to come. It foreshadows chapters 11 through 13 that surround the temple and all the stuff that's going to go on with the temple in those chapters 11 through 13. Jesus has a mission. He rides in on this peaceable donkey instead of a war horse because he's not the political warrior, but we make no mistake that there's a battle and Jesus is about to fire that first shot. At the end of the week, the center of everything, the center of everything that the people hold near and dear 
to them and to their faith meaning the temple. The temple is the center of everything, their worship, their lives. At the end of the week, it will all be irrelevant. And Jesus is looking around at that, and he knows that, because it will be irrelevant in God's eyes, and the focus will shift to a new center, to Jesus Christ. And I think when Jesus looks around in that temple, and he knows the hypocrisy that's within those walls, and he knows that it's going to be cleansed the next day, I think that he's quite contemplative, and I think he's probably a little sad. As I said, we know in some of the other Gospels that the next day, before he cleanses the temple, he weeps for Jerusalem. We read that in Luke 19. But what I think Jesus is maybe thinking about, if I can maybe just... just suppose this for a second what i think jesus is thinking about when he looks around that temple is he recalls what he said in luke chapter 13 and this is what he says he says jerusalem jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it how often would i gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings but you were not willing behold Your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus prays that in Luke 13. And he says, when you see me, when you fix your eyes, when you understand who I am and what I'm going to do, blessed is he, you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How do you see Jesus? How are you seeing Jesus? Maybe a better question is how does he see you? Right? That's a, that's a little bit more of a live question because I think sometimes we have a view of Jesus as a harsh taskmaster, flipping tables, right? Judging the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites, and he does all those things. But the overwhelming and to the core of the heart of our Savior is one of great compassion. Jesus weeps for Jerusalem because he's broken by what's gone on there. Beloved, Jesus weeps for you. He weeps for your burdens this morning. And he does not just weep, he actually did something about it. He comes in humility, he comes in kindness, he comes in compassion, and he literally emptied himself of everything and became a servant for you. Born in the likeness of men, obedient to death on a cross. But make no mistake, he's a king. He is our king, and he will be exalted as king. The Jesus that we lift up high in this place this morning, that we fix our eyes on, is the author and is the perfecter of your faith. He did that. He is the agent God used to do that very thing in your life. Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And one day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is good news. Pray with me. Father, we are humbled We are humbled by the fact that Jesus is humbled. We are to be um, an image of Christ, conformed and transformed into his likeness. And Father, that is a 
often a, um, an uncomfortable and a painful reality in our lives because there's so much that needs to be um, honed off and sanded and sometimes even cut to get us to a place where we become more like Jesus. But we know that you are a loving, kind Father. And we know that because we need to look no farther than what Jesus did for us and how he sacrificed his life for us. He was beaten. He was ripped apart. The flesh ripped off his bones. The thorns were digging into his skull. He hung there and was ridiculed and mocked and beaten and pierced taking the weight of our sin on his shoulders out of love. Out of love. God, may we grasp that truth today in a fresh and in a new way. May we be able to see as we travel down this last week of Jesus' life over the coming months, may we understand that our conquering king does not do it by brute force. He lays it all down. And he does it for you. And he does it for me. And we can praise God for that. Father, we thank you for that reality. My prayer for us today is that would be a truer reality today than it was yesterday. And it would be even more truer for us tomorrow than it is today. God, we thank you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.